Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 134 of Just the Zoo of Us. On this week's episode, I got to chat with an amazing conservation biologist who studies the oft-maligned yet thoroughly impressive powerhouses, hyenas. We talked about the diversity of the hyena family, eating bones, girl bossing, how pop culture has missed the mark on hyena representation, and compassionate conservation. I promise this episode is going to have you whooping with joy over these incredibly cool animals. Just the Zoo of Us presents Hyenas with Dr. Christine Wilkinson. Everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here as usual with your favorite animal review podcast, Just the Zoo of Us. And this week I am really excited to talk about animals that I don't think get enough love. They get some attention, but I don't think they get enough love. We're talking about hyenas with a special guest. This is Christine Wilkinson. Say hi, Christine. Hey, everybody. So excited to talk to you. I'm quite the fan. I have been following you on social media for some time. Before we talk about hyenas, let's talk about Christine a little bit. Can you let our listeners know what your hyena journey has been like? I would love to. It's kind of a meandering journey. So I grew up in Queens, New York, very far away from any hyenas. (laughs) (laughs) Known for their hyena population. Although that would be amazing and frightening. And yeah, as a kid, I was always kind of running around the city looking for urban animals like squirrels and cockroaches and cicadas. I love cicadas. I would put them on my shirt and go to dinner with them on my shirt. And my mom <laughs> would hate that. It's a brooch. Yeah, they were and they would just sit there. It was so cute. Like live uh, cicadas? Yeah, live cicadas. <laughs> they just they kind of don't move. Yeah, my mom wasn't. She didn't like that. Uh, and oh and pigeons have a soft spot in my heart all over new york and i really wanted to be kind of like the nature show hosts that i saw on tv but none of them really looked like me i'm a person of color for those of you who can't see me or had really similar backgrounds and i had no idea how to get to that point so i was kind of like just running around after these animals trying to approximate that but i knew from a really young age that i wanted to work with wildlife so fast forward to when I was applying for undergrad, I ended up being really fortunate to be invited to be part of a field science program that was funded by the National Science Foundation. And I was supposed to be doing marine science research on an island kind of off the coast of Maine before starting my freshman year of college at Cornell University. And that's kind of what sealed the deal for me was like, oh, okay, kind of had a few paths laid out for me. I was really interested in music as well. And this was like, oh, I'm going to go do field research on an island. Yes, like the animal path is still for me. And I had a really great mentor for that program. And she mentored me throughout my whole college career and kind of helped me apply for other grants or recommended me for other grants and fellowships that supported underrepresented students in science and research. And I don't think I really would have ended up where I am today without her. So that was kind of like the big push for me toward wildlife. And in college, I started off studying limpets, which I don't know if you've covered limpets. No, we haven't covered limpets. Let me see if I know what a limpet is. Is it like a, like a clam? It's similar. So if you ever are down, I, I really didn't study them that much. So I don't want to like get the limpet biologists <laughs> after me. But if you're ever down by the intertidal shoreline, 
They're those things that are kind of clamped to a rock and they're like, they have like a flat underside with all of their gooey bits and then Mm. like this slightly (laughs) rounded shell. And you can, you can kind of pry them off the rock and like they have cute little faces. I mean, they're not really faces, but they look like faces to me. So yeah, I started off studying limpets on that island and then I had some marine mammal experience out there. And then I did a research project on eastern gray squirrels and I focused a lot on seabirds like terns and gulls and I actually did um, a senior thesis on herring gulls. So not at all similar to hyenas, right? So what (laughs) happened with the hyenas is that during my undergrad, I also was able to do a study abroad program in Kenya and Tanzania, and it really shaped my whole career. Kind of since then, I've worked in Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda for like the whole time that I've been a scientist. And I made a lot of friends during that initial time in Kenya and Tanzania, and a lot of them were dealing with conflict with their wildlife. So whether it was their livestock being eaten by carnivores or their crops being raided by elephants or baboons. And one thing that really stuck with me kind of pushed me from being a wildlife-focused person to being more of an interdisciplinary conservationist, someone who really values people too. Someone said, if a person kills a lion, the government will be there in a day or two to find and arrest that person. But if a lion kills a person, the government may never acknowledge that. And they also might not compensate for that. Mm. So it's really kind of devastating experiences people are having with wildlife um, when they're living with them. And they're also dealing with things like poverty or other sociopolitical problems. That kind of led me to understand the importance of working with communities for really doing meaningful conservation that'll last a long time. And it's also what made me want to do a PhD. So my friends in East Africa were talking with me about how they wish they had the tools to deal with conflict. And I knew that I really just didn't have the qualifications. So I went back for the PhD because it was a way for me to gain those tools and bring them back to my friends who were interested um, if they wanted to use them. And also to kind of surround myself with people who are doing similar work and had similar interests around conflict with animals. So before I came back to my PhD, I actually wanted to gain some experience outside of academia, which kind of led me on the hyena path a little bit. We're getting closer to the hyenas. We're not quite there. (laughs) We're getting warmer. (laughs) We're getting warmer. Yeah, they're, they're nearby. I had kept in touch with one of my professors from my study abroad program in Kenya and Tanzania and I ended up living in Uganda and managing her primate conservation and human primate conflict organization for about a year. So they're working with chimpanzees and baboons and other primates that kind of go in and raid people's crops. And I really got my um, hands dirty on understanding the idea of conflict, right? And then I ended up here at UC Berkeley um, with a group of people that have a lot of expertise on human wildlife conflict. And basically, you know, after these years on and off working on human wildlife conflict, I decided to focus on spotted hyenas and their interactions with people for a few reasons. So first, we know that hyenas are involved in many, if not most, of the human carnivore conflict instances. So that's like attacking people's livestock, etc. And we kind of know that anecdotally, like people tell stories about that. It's kind of written in interviews and that kind of thing. Um, When you compare hyenas to lions and leopards, hyenas are causing a lot of damage from what people are saying. But those interactions with people hadn't really been studied in earnest. So I kind of was like, okay, why is that? Why is it that we have this kind of understanding hyenas are at least implicated in conflict, but we don't really know what the data is behind that. And then secondly, spotted hyenas are really adaptable, as I'll talk about soon. And we didn't really understand how they're navigating human development and infrastructure, um, how they're using those 
adaptive abilities to kind of navigate through these really dense human landscapes in a lot of cases, and generally how they're managing to coexist or not coexist with people in those landscapes. And then, you know, as a bonus, spotted hyenas are just super fascinating. They're intelligent, they're unique, they're misunderstood. And the misunderstood part, I definitely identify with. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of how I became a hyena researcher after all of this journey through various wildlife from cicadas to hyenas. Just ran the whole gamut of the entire animal kingdom. (laughs) (laughs) Almost, almost. But it's great to like bring such a wide base of knowledge, right? Like coming into it, like having so much knowledge from like marine invertebrates and birds and having like a very wide pool of knowledge to to pull from. It feels good, but it also feels like, wow, I really know nothing. Like there's still so much to learn. (laughs) There is. Oh, and it's so exciting too when you get to study something that like hasn't really been reflected in the documentation, like you said, that people have been trying to tell us this whole time, like, yeah, the hyenas are killing our livestock. Right. And then on the other hand, you know, we have all of this knowledge about how adaptable they are and kind of people are saying, oh, they're fine. They're they're not, you know, spotted hyenas are not really threatened. They can adapt. And we kind of have that knowledge kind of in the back of our heads, but we're not really looking at like what that means. Like, how are they adapting? And what does it mean for their populations and their genetics and that kind of thing? Like, maybe we should like just poke in a little bit and see if they're doing okay, you know? Yeah. That sort of contradicts an assumption that I think... I and probably a lot of other people listening have coming into hyenas, which is that they're just scavengers, right? The idea that they're just running around picking at whatever's dead on the ground, but they're they're very like cunning predators. They are. They are apex predators. They kill most of their own prey in most instances. But again, with their adaptability, they can really go for anything that's out there, including scavenging. I mean, if it's a free meal sitting on the ground, you're not going to turn it down. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. No, it's sitting right there. It's a buffet. That's a free meal. (laughs) (laughs) So when we're talking about hyenas, for somebody that maybe has like seen hyenas depicted, but doesn't really know a whole lot about hyenas, what is a hyena? I think a lot of people might guess that there may be like a cat or a dog or something like that. Like what, what would you say like is a hyena? That's a great question. Okay. So hyenas, number one, although they might look like a bear and a dog, combine themselves. They're actually a lot more closely related to cats than to dogs. They're in the suborder Feliformia, which includes hyenas as well as all of our cats, mongooses, and other related animals. So the cat-like animals. And that's kind of as opposed to Caniformia, the other suborder, which includes dogs, raccoons, bears, etc. So they're in Feliformia. And there are four species of hyena. So I study spotted hyenas But I've also had my run-ins with some of the other species as well. Um, The one that you might be most familiar with is the spotted hyena. It features the most in pop culture, in the few places of pop culture that you'll find it. But there are three others. There's the striped hyena, the brown hyena, and the aardwolf, which is kind of a fun name. I love aardwolf. (laughs) One of our very earliest episodes was about the aardwolf. Oh, Uh, I love that. I love that little guy. (laughs) They're just so fascinating. And very different from the rest of the hyena family, too, from what I understand. They're so different. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in a little bit, Try to how we can distinguish the four species before we dive into the spotties. But as far as, you know, where you can find a hyena, any of the four species, so the brown hyena, the spotted hyena, and the aardwolf are all found only in Africa. But the striped hyena is also found eastward 
through the Arabian Peninsula to India as well, and even at the edge of its range into Nepal um, and even into Turkey. And the brown hyena is mostly in the southern part of Africa, while the striped hyena is kind of in the eastern, northern parts of Africa, and then again into Asia, as I said. And the spotted, on the other hand, kind of lives all around sub-Saharan Africa. And then the aardwolf is mostly in the east and in southern Africa. So there's two distinct populations of aardwolf, one in east and one in the south. And I'm actually part of the IUCN hyena specialist group. And we're currently drafting the new range maps for all four species, which is like a huge effort with lots of different contributors trying to figure out what we're missing, what's missing in the range maps. But we haven't finished them yet, but stay tuned relatively soon for those. Oh my gosh, that's so neat. So you're like seeing in real time updates to like where they're at in the world. Yeah. In these hyenas that are like kind of spread out over this big wide range, do you see their like bodies changing at all to kind of like adapt to the places that they live? Some of them do. Like it's more adapting in my mind, to the type of food that they're eating. So, you know, we'll talk about how, you know, spotted hyenas can hunt and they can crush bone, whereas like the aardwolf, which you mentioned earlier, only eats termites. And so, you know, an aardwolf, since it only wants termites, will only live in like the savanna landscapes where termites are. Whereas like a spotty might go around a city even and be able to figure out what to eat. Do you call them spotties? Like, I do. Is that like their affectionate nickname? There are a lot of good nicknames for hyenas. Um, my personal favorite for any hyena is the yeen. <laughs> I've heard that before. Love yeens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then spotty. Yeah. Are they like spotties and brownies and stripies? <laughs> I call them stripies too. I don't, uh, I haven't really worked anywhere that has brownies, but I, I do wonder whether the brown hyena folks call them. Brownies. But you know what? Brown hyenas also have a cool name. They're called strand wolves as well. Strand wolves. I know. It's pretty like, ooh, serious. Um, but they are mostly, you know, south of where I work, so I haven't worked with them yet. That sounds like you'd hear that in like Game of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. Like the dire wolf and the strand wolf. Right. Like it sounds like a counterpart to like the dire wolf. Like the dire wolves are up in the north, and then maybe the strand wolves would be like down in the south, like in the more like desert areas. <laughs> Right. And it's like also, you know, just tacking on wolf on the end of ard wolf or strand wolf further increases the confusion around what these animals actually are. Because everyone does think they're dogs, but they're not. That's true. And I feel like they have the same energy as a dog. I don't know. Like, you know, whereas <laughs> cats kind of have that more like stealthy, sort of like slinky almost vibe. Right. And hyenas are a little bit more like rough and tumble. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are some reasons for that too that are probably um, really, at least for spotties closely related to their sociality which mm. we associate with dogs a lot yeah because hyenas like to like pack up right I, I i will say there's one thing the lion king i think maybe they got it right. <laughs> identified yeah. correctly that yeah they do like to like stick together they do so since we're talking about like really interesting things about like their body and what makes them unique let's talk about effectiveness which if this is your first time ever listening to our podcast, our whole deal is that we review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories. And the first category is effectiveness, which is just things built into their body that let them do a good job of the things they're trying to do. Like you said, these are apex predators. So things that are helping them catch their prey, not become prey themselves. What would you give your hyenas out of 10 for effectiveness? All right. So for effectiveness, I so for some of these questions, I'm going to stick 
with just bodies. But for this one, I want to just give you an overview of how effective all four species are because they're just effective in different ways. Absolutely. So, well, I'm going to save the best for last in my opinion, <laughs> and start on a non-spotty. We'll, we're going to start with the stripies, the striped okay. hyena. So first of all, as I said, they have one of the most varied distributions. They're across two different continents, which is amazing in and of itself. So they're doing something right. They're doing something right. <laughs> and, and they can stick it out in a lot of places. You know, they also can really do that despite lots of misperceptions that people have around them, just like people have around spotties, which some of you may be familiar with, a lot of misperceptions around those animals. And they have this really robust skull that can splinter bones. It's not quite as like bone crushy as the spotted one, but it can do a pretty good, pretty good job on bones. Serious crunching power. They very much crunch. <laughs> and both of those species, the spotted and striped, have a really tall, I wish I had a skull with me to show you, but they have a really tall sagittal crest. It's a ridge that runs down the very top of the skull and anchors these super strong jaw muscles. So for those of you listening, if you're ever wondering, okay, does this carnivore chew a lot or have a really strong bite? And you're looking at a skull, look for that tall sagittal crest and then look at the two cheekbones, these zygomatic arch bones and see if they're really wide. Because if they're wide, that means they have these really thick muscles running through them from the sagittal crest down to the jaw. And that tells you, okay, they chew a lot. They crunch a lot. (laughs) (laughs) When you're describing like the sagittal crest on top of the skull, I feel like if you look at certain types of dogs, you can often see this like, it looks like a bump on the top of their head, straight down the center of the of the skull. So check, look really closely at your dog, see if you can see it. (laughs) That's exactly right. Now, the funny thing about striped hyena, the reason they don't have as dramatic of a sagittal crest and bone crunching ability as the spotted is that they're primarily a scavenging species. So they do scavenge quite a lot, but they have been known to bring down some prey items, mostly smaller ones, but also some larger ones, even livestock sometimes and dogs in some areas. And since they do hunt a little bit, you know, their cryptic striped fur is really great for camouflage, both for defense and for hunting. And so they are, you know, even though they're not this, the spotties you've heard of, these apex predators, they're pretty effective in their own right at what they do. Okay, let's move to the brown, since we're saving the best for last. The brown hyena is really neat. It's what we know as the rarest hyena species. I think it's classified as near threatened right now. I mean, maybe that'll change once we finish these range maps. I'm not really sure. And they actually live in clans that are similar to the structure of a wolf pack. So with a male and a female and some offspring. And they're mostly nocturnal and they are like super scavengers. Like where the striped hyena mostly scavenges, the brown hyena like almost entirely scavenges. They're really not good at hunting, but they are amazing at scavenging. And for that, they have a fantastic sense of smell. They are also on top of their excellence of smell for finding carcasses. They're really great at stealing kills from other species, even really formidable species like leopards and other big cats. So right on for the brown hyena. There's some great images out there if you Google this of a brown hyena or maybe several images of brown hyenas kind of trying to steal from more than one leopard and possibly being successful at that. Wow. And it is no small task to separate a leopard from its prey. Leopards are quite clingy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Ardwolf, since you already had a whole episode on Ardwolf, I'll spend just a minute on just talking about how cool they are and how effective they are at what they do. These little guys are the smallest of the hyena species. And one reason for that is that they only eat insects, which is super unusual, right? You have these, these bone crunchers, these scavengers, these leopard kill stealers, and then you have these little guys that just eat insects. They don't have that really large, well-developed skull that you see in the other three species. 
because they don't need that jaw muscle. And they have a lot fewer teeth because they don't really use them. And they specialize in termites. They're quite good at it. The science shows that they actually leave enough termites to continue replenishing the termite nest so that they can return to the same sites over and over again, kind of like, I don't know, sustainable farming or something like that. Right. And like (laughs) rotating through mounds. So they'll be like, oh, I know that one over there. I left this many at so I can go back to that one later. Super clever. Yeah, they're so smart. They're such good little ant farmers. I've only ever seen one once and it was just like the time of my life. Oh my gosh, I would have passed out immediately. I nearly did. nearly (laughs) did. And the funny thing is like the very next day, I also saw my very first African painted dogs. Like, And so I was like, what is this? This is amazing. Blessed. (laughs) Yes, totally blessed. Oh yeah. And then the other thing about the Ardolf is that, you know, people would get confused sometimes because they see them standing over carcasses and they're like, oh, they must be eating meat. But they're actually eating the insects off of the meat. Mm. Um, So they're not actually eating the meat. So don't get confused about that. But that's clever to know, like, hey, where there's meat, there's going to be bugs. Right. Exactly. Very clever. Okay. Spotted hyenas. Of course, I'm biased. But (laughs) these animals are so cool. They are. So they evolved to be bone crushers or bone crunchers, as we want to say. And what this means is that their skulls and their digestive systems are adapted for processing bone and not just meat. So, in fact, a lot of the time, spotted hyena poop is a distinctive pure white in color. What? Yeah, it's just white. And so you can easily see that it's a spotted hyena because they've digested the bone. I hate the bones. Settle down. I hate the bones. Is it like hard? Like like solid hard? Like a like bone? No, it's like it's like any other poop, right? Like it comes mm-hmm. out. Like if you get it super fresh, it's like poop consistency, but it's white. And then if you get it hardened, it's hardened. Oh, man. <laughs> not that I'm like, I, I don't study scat as much, so I'm not like feeling them, but I've, I've stepped on my fair share. So oh. <laughs> nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Something about it being white, like makes it less nasty, even though it's equally as nasty, you know, like it, it doesn't, doesn't register as, as like, not this is definitely not poop. This is something else. <laughs> right, right. Another fun thing about their digestive systems, which also helps with their adaptability is that they can digest and kind of get through a lot of diseases that other animals can't. Hmm. So there was actually, I wasn't a part of this, but I do know that because of their ability to kind of withstand things like anthrax and whatnot, the U.S. government was trying to fund studies using their blood to see like what it was about spotted hyenas that let them kind of process these very dangerous viruses and that kind of thing. I don't think they ever figured it out, but it was like that cool that the the Department of Defense wanted to use it. So oh, wow, and they were not sharing their secrets. <laughs> yeah, we I think that like either the funding ran out or something like that. Um but yeah, I wasn't a part of that, but it's it just gives you an idea of just how neat they are. Yeah. Have you ever played like Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that? Only once. I'm sorry. Only once. Yeah. I was just going to say it sounds like they have a really high constitution because. Oh, yeah. I know what the constitution is. They're like impervious to disease. Yeah, they totally do. Because of that and a bunch of other things, they they can live anywhere from like the desert to the forest, the savanna. They can even thrive in urban areas. Some of y'all might have heard of the hyenas in Harar, Ethiopia that actually kind of thrive in that urban area, sometimes even get fed by people. And they're actually relatively well regarded there, um, as opposed to a lot of places in sub-Saharan Africa where they're not. They're apex predators, as I said. They hunt most of their prey. They can also scavenge a huge diversity of prey items. Fun fact, all of the females in a given clan are usually ranked more highly socially than all the males in the clan. 
So this female-led society, which is super cool, again, I'm biased, um, <laughs> and this really intricate social ranking dictates a lot of aspects of hyena life from mating to feeding and kind of allows them to really use this, these kind of social skills to be a lot more effective as predators and that kind of thing. Something I don't think we've mentioned yet is how big they are, especially for people who maybe have never seen one in, in person and not gotten a sense of scale. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like when they're um, hunting as a pack. Like, Is that to make up for like a small size or is just just helps? <laughs> yeah. So like hyenas can eat anything from like a caterpillar to an elephant. Mm. And... Um, <laughs> And so, like, for an elephant, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to go alone, right? Mm. So you might want to chase something down as a clan rather than being alone, although they do hunt alone in pairs and small groups or in large groups. So hyenas are, let me try to think of something that you could imagine for a hyena size. I would say they're about somewhere around like 100 something, 120, 130, 140 pounds at full weight. Females are the bigger on the bigger end of that. Males are on the smaller end, right? Males are smaller than females because they're not as dominant. I guess you could think of it as like a pretty large sort of fluffy dog is the vibe we're getting here. Yeah, like bigger than a coyote. Right. Definitely bigger, like a lot bigger than a coyote, I would say. Maybe we're talking like a, a Bernese mountain dog, but like mm. not as like heavy and shaggy, you know? Got it. Like yeah, a little yeah, yeah. smaller than that. If you gave a mountain dog a bath. <laughs> right. If you gave it a bath, like their necks are really long, so they get a little taller than this, but like at their shoulder height, they're something like three feet, if I had to estimate. It's pretty big. Yeah. You can, I, I've shared some Twitter pictures of me and, and a hyena. Um, so you might see like a little bit of the size if you check out my Twitter later. All right. Okay. Back to effectiveness. So, okay. So here's where we get into the, the real interesting stuff. Spotted hyenas are famous for the females having an extremely enlarged pseudophallus that looks a lot like what the male has. And they even have these kind of fleshy bits at the base of it that look a bit like what the male has too. And people have done really interesting work that shows that spotted hyenas are exposed to androgens while in utero, so kind of like these male hormones, possibly to increase their ability for aggression and dominance once they're out of the womb. This could have incidentally led to the development of these features in female hyenas. The jury's still out on that a little bit, but we think that that's the progression. However, this gets into the effectiveness of it. Along with that comes the fact that female hyenas mate urinate, and give birth through their pseudophallus. So that can cause some issues. So for instance, imagine being a male and trying to mate through a female pseudophallus. Because mm -hmm, they have to go through it. They have to go through it. Instead of there being kind of different receptacles for different purposes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it looks really funny when they try to do it and they have to kind of stay together for a little while to try and figure out the angles, like to find a safe place to get into this very vulnerable, compromising position, mm -hmm. you know? Okay. So like a little bit knocked off of the effectiveness there. It's an event. It's a yeah. whole ordeal. <laughs> it's a whole thing. But on the other hand, you know, along with the social dominance I mentioned earlier, this also further reinforces the fact that the females and their preferences dictate sex and mate choice. You're like, you, you can't just have a male sneak up on a female when it's so difficult to mate with her. Mm -hmm. um, she really she really is the one who calls the shots on that. So that's that's an advantage for her. But then there's another issue, right? So like there's another issue is that during birth, as I said, they give birth through that. 
The pseudophallus is likely to tear, which can be pretty mm. terrible. And females giving birth might also die or face stillbirths from the infants suffocating on their way out. Oh, man. So there's like trade-offs with that, that those androgens with the, with the hormones, with the genitalia itself, et cetera. So all in all, you know, with the foraging and hunting adaptations, the awesome social structures, really fascinating genitalia from the spotted hyenas, and all of those other kind of wonderful things we heard from the other hyenas, I'm going to knock off a little bit of the score from some of the challenges I mentioned and give hyenas as a whole 9.5 out of 10. Absolutely. You know, it sounds like they're they're just really kind of making the best out of every situation that they're in. Because you mentioned like they can be in an urban place. They can be out in the grasslands. They can be out in like different places that have very different needs. And they're just like, all right, we'll roll with it. We'll figure it out. We'll make it work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what exactly is androgen? What does that mean? So these are like male hormones. So these are the things that, you know, for lack of being an anatomist myself, that you're exposed to a lot more in the womb if you are, say, a male human baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and help various parts of you to develop in a way that we know sexually to be as male. And so when we saw, when, when scientists were seeing that spotted hyenas, um, the females have this very special genitalia. They're like, how are they getting that? Like, what is going on here? Why did it evolve to be this way? And they started to study what was happening in the womb and saw that there was really this influx of androgens happening during the the um, pregnancy of these animals. So they are starting to wonder, okay, we know that this is definitely what's causing the development of these genitalia or what's influencing it, but the kind of trying to figure out why those androgens started being flowing into the uterus in the first place mm-hmm. evolutionarily. Oh, yeah. And you, you mentioned that it was like stoking aggression on for the, for the, what do you call baby hyenas? Is it pups? Cubs. Cubs. They're called cubs, okay. yeah. I like that. I know. That's it cute. is confusing to know like what to call our baby cat or dog-like cats. <laughs> <laughs> They're right in that gray area where it's kind of tough to call. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like aesthetically speaking, I know taxonomically not, but like when you're just looking at me, you're like, what's the vibe? Is it a cub or is it a pup? Um, <laughs> is it difficult to tell a male from a female if their sort of reproductive anatomy appears at a glance very similar? Is it hard for you to tell like, oh, that's a male or oh, that's a female? It can be hard. Okay, so there are tips though. Um, When you're looking at the pseudophallus of the animal, you look at the very tip of it. If it's pointy, it's going to be a male. Mm. And if it's more flat, it has like a kind of a broad flat surface, it's going to be a female. It's tricky though, because you really have to look closely or take a good photograph. Um, another way, the, the easiest way, in my opinion, to tell females apart um, from males is if they have given birth, there's a couple of things you can look for. You can look for enlarged nipples because that means that they've given birth and they have these very prominent nipples after that in the back. And you can also look for on the pseudophallus, is there a scar? So as I mentioned, they do um, often tear during the birthing process. So you can look for a pink scar on the pseudophallus as well, and that'll be a giveaway. Another option, if you're like, okay, the pseudophallus isn't really visible, I can't really see what's going on there, I'm not really sure. This could be maybe a a juvenile female, right? Like one that hasn't given birth and doesn't have those telltale signs. You can look at the body shape sometimes as well. So the males will have a body shape that 
the stomach has a very distinctive U shape, whereas the females, it starts out under the armpits as that U, and then it kind of doesn't end as a U. It oh. ends more flat and more kind of um, not as curvy as, as a U shape. So that's one way to kind of, if you're really not sure, you, again, this is like not a tried and true method because if the hyena has eaten a ton of food, sometimes <laughs> you really can't tell, but it's usually reliable. Is that at all similar to the, what do they call it? The primordial pouch, the little pooch that cats get on their belly. <laughs> That's a good question. I am not sure. Yeah, I am not sure. And then like, why would the females have that versus the males? I think that the females usually have that shape more often because they have the nipple kind of situation going on where it's like a little bit more saggy there. Sure. But I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, and in fact, speaking of like not being able to tell sex apart, when I was initially doing some GPS collaring of spotted hyenas, the vet had darted a hyena for me that I was kind of like making my way over. And when I arrived, they're like, oh, it's it's a male. And I was like, um, no, it's actually a female. And it's a female that has not yet given birth. She is, she is fully grown, but she hadn't given birth. And what I had to do was teach the vet, like, here's how you can really tell hands down. And that is by, I told you there were some fleshy um, sacs at the base of the pseudophallus for females that mimic what the male has, but there's nothing in them. Oh, So if you squeeze <laughs> them, and I'm sorry to say, we did in fact squeeze. Um, there's nothing there, right? So it's just kind of flesh and there's no testicles there. So it's fake. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's just, you know, aesthetically pleasing. So I was able to say like, here's like a little lesson, like we get to learn about what it's like to collar this, this female hyena that's a bit more androgynous than others. Wow. Oh, that's so interesting. And among mammals in general, is it very common for females to be sort of the the larger and tougher ones? It's a good question. I really think that it's quite rare in mammals. Um, mm -hmm. I think that it's true for a lot of other species, though. As someone who's not an entomologist, I do know that that happens a lot in the insect and arachnid world, um, but not as much in the mammal world. I'll have to think about if I can think of any other cases where that that's true for mammals. Do you know of any? Yeah, see, it's the mammal part that's throwing me for the loop because I know, I think it's that for a lot of, you know what, sharks, I think the females are usually bigger than the males. I think you're right about I that. I think it's sharks that like a lot of times the female is, is bigger and bulkier and maybe a little meaner. But for mammals, you know, like the first thing that even comes to mind is like lions where the, the male is the big bulky, you know, got the big mane. Right. But hyenas have kind of flipped the script. Yeah, they have. And they're also just generally, you know, you know, for lions, you've got this big bulky male, but you've got the females doing a lot of the work. And for, I know. <laughs> and for hyenas, you've got like the females are just like the queens of everything and they're talented. So mm -hmm. absolute icons. Not that I'm a bias, but I am biased. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. They deserve it. They, they totally earn it. Hey there, we are going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we are going to talk ingenuity and aesthetics for hyenas, so stay tuned. Well, Manolo, we have a show to promote. It's called Dr. Game Show. It's a family-friendly podcast where listeners submit games and we play them with callers from around the world. Oh, sounds good. New episodes uh, happen every other Wednesday on MaximumFun.org. It's a, it's a fast and loose oasis of absurd innocence and naivete. And Are you writing a poem? No, and just saying things from my memory. 
and uh, it's a nice break from reality. <laughs> Is that are we allowed to say that? I don't know. It sounds bad. It comes with a 100% happiness guarantee. It does not. <laughs> Come for the games and stay for the chaos. for a movie. Oh, I got you. Uh, there's that new foreign film with the time travel. There's an amazing documentary about queer history on streaming. Have I told you about this classic where giant robots fight? Or there's that one that most critics hated, but I thought was actually pretty good. Ooh, I know. The one with the huge car chase, and then there's that scene where the, the car, car jumps, jumps over, over the submarine. submarine. Wow, who are you eclectic movie experts? Well, I'm Ify Wadiway. I'm Drea Clark. And I'm Alonzo Duraldi. And together, we host the movie podcast Maximum Film. New episode episodes every week on MaximumFun.org. And you actually just walked into our recording booth. Oh, weird. Sorry. I thought this was a video store. You seem like a lady with a lot of problems. The next category that we rate our animals on is ingenuity, which are behavioral adaptations. So things that the animal is actually like actively doing to like solve problems it faces or you know just kind of get an edge in the world they're living in what do you give them for ingenuity i'm going to focus in on spotted hyenas because they are just truly astounding so first of all <laughs> spotties have been known to outperform chimpanzees on some problem solving tests whoa and chimpanzees are the ones you hear about right exactly people are always like oh chimpanzees are like the smartest non-human animal but yeah but are they are <laughs> they so the reason we know that is that there was a study that came out of uc berkeley actually that showed that hyenas use their cooperative problem solving abilities as social creatures to tackle problems and challenges so Side note, I say UC Berkeley. This is really exciting and fascinating to tell you because I am sitting here at UC Berkeley campus. <laughs> For about 30 years, UC Berkeley used to have a spotted hyena clan <gasps> up at a field station in the hills above campus what? for behavioral <laughs> studies. Yes. Starting in the 80s, ending in 2014. So that's because of costs and logistics. The last hyenas were given actually to the Oakland Zoo, which is about 20 minutes away from here in 2014. Um, but yeah, they had them for about 30 years, just right up in the hills. And, and from what I've been told, you were able to hear them calling occasionally from like on campus. You just have like hyena sounds. <laughs> oh my gosh, cool. I would have lost it. <laughs> I know. I came in 2015 and I was like, ah, oh, I'm like a year too late. This is Just awful. missed them. Um, so anyway, these animals are super intelligent. As I mentioned before, they can be really diverse in what they eat and how they hunt. Um, they have what we call fission fusion societies. So that means they can kind of go solo. They can be in pairs. They can be in groups for different activities or at different times. And this really plays out in hunting, either solo, in pairs, small groups, or in larger groups. By the way, a hyena, a spotted hyena group is called a clan. I had been calling them a pack, so I'll just, <laughs> just correct that in my brain. Side note that I love like the different names that we have for different groups of animals. Like, oh, yeah. It's my favorite thing. Terms of venery. <laughs> completely made up. But <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Okay, so yeah, as we've mentioned, they are an apex predator. They hunt most of their prey. And contrary to what the Lion King might tell you, lions are actually more likely to steal from a hyena than the other way around. Oh, so, no. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. that's not what you heard. I know it's not what you heard. So because spotties can also scavenge all sorts of food, they're also really adaptable enough to eat really strange food items sometimes. You know, they can live in cities, etc. Once my colleague and the world's hyena expert, Kay Holacamp, who works in Kenya as well, recorded a time when they thought that they saw hyenas grazing on grass 
only to get closer and see that they are actually eating caterpillars off the tips <gasps> of the grass. Oh. Um, so they can really like they can really eat all sorts of things. They're amazing. Another thing about hyena behavior and ingenuity is unlike all of the other hyena species, spotted hyenas are born with their eyes open and their teeth. So they're really ready to rock and roll from day one. Immediately. Yeah, they're ready. Trying to throw hands the instant they leave. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, they're still like babies, right? So they're still stumbly and funny looking, but like oh. they, they can throw hands and they start out establishing their place in the social hierarchy from the very first day. And then last thing about behavior to note is that just the sheer number of different communications the spotted hyena has are astounding. They use body language. They use vocalizations. I can demonstrate vocalizations if you want some. Please, I'm begging for (laughs) demonstration. Okay, so the one that you might have heard the most and that you would hear if you went on safari or visited Africa is the whoop. So it sounds like this. Although if it's a baby, I've heard the babies sound really funny sometimes. They sound kind of like this. I'm like, I can't quite like make it. <laughs> it's like when you're trying to sing a high note and your voice breaks and you end up just like screeching. <laughs> exactly. It's super cute. Um, and they do this for all sorts of reasons, for food, to just to announce themselves, to communicate. But they have all sorts of different vocalizations. You might know about the laugh that they have. <laughs> they that's just the whoop and the laugh are just two of very many vocalizations that they use to express themselves and establish this dominance and talk about where the food is and all these other things and lastly they along with the other three hyena species emit a substance that we sometimes call paste from their anal glands they can use to mark their territory and serve as yet another form of communication. So they're always communicating. This communication has really contributed to their intelligence, problem solving, and just how neat they are overall. So you know what? For ingenuity, they definitely, definitely get a 10 out of 10. Full marks. down. No notes. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny that you said the, the substance from their glands is called paste, because I don't know if you have ever been in a situation where you've had to change a lot of baby diapers. Um, But (laughs) there is a diaper rash preventative product called uh, butt paste. Nice. That (laughs) that is often used to prevent diaper rash in babies, but it sounds like it plays into the hyena's life as well. They have their very own butt paste, but I don't recommend uh, putting that on your baby. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's pretty foul smelling. It's pretty foul smelling. Oh, that sounds nasty. (laughs) But useful. (laughs) Yeah. When you are like out working with like collaring hyenas or doing any sort of like hands-on work with hyenas, is that particularly like mess? Like, is that like dirty work kind of? Or are they, I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, what is the experience like of working kind of hands-on with hyenas? Um, Honestly, I was going to mention this in the aesthetic section, but like, I am not the only person in the world who thinks that spotted hyenas can smell good. (laughs) Um, I mean, not when they're pasting and not when they're rolling in like carcasses and things like that. But like they have like a kind of a unique incense kind of smell. Hmm. So like I actually don't find it to be unpleasant. And I can sometimes like smell them like when they're nearby, which is like a weird thing to say. Like now you can fix you probably picture me being very strange in the field. <laughs> sniffing. Them. That's not how I find them typically. But they're not um, super dirty unless you are like you know, with them while they're covered in blood because they just made a kill or 
you know, they're rolling in mud because they, they enjoy rolling in mud for cooling off and, and getting rid of pests and that kind of thing or dust bathing. So like like any other animal, they can be kind of dirty because they're animals. But um, when I was coloring, I didn't really experience anything super gross. They are mostly just like sort of they have that like fuzzy coarse fur, generally mostly clean, like they do groom, right? Mm. They are adjacent to cats and they, and they groom. And I don't find them very repulsive or anything of that nature when I'm when I'm working with them hands on. I did have a funny mental image of you kind of standing out in the field going like, there's yeens nearby. Like, <laughs> Here there be yeens. <laughs> Since we're on the topic of their smell, their fur, let's talk aesthetics for these hyenas. I think that hyenas don't get hyped up for being particularly aesthetically appealing. But what do you give hyenas for aesthetics out of 10? All right. Okay. So hyenas are just plain cute. I mean, okay, look at their silly big ears. <laughs> the fact that people really can't put a finger on whether they look more like a dog or a bear, despite being more cat-like than either. On top of that, you know, they can sing, right? Spotted hyenas in particular can sing, which is a talent. And mm-hmm. it should go into their aesthetics, in my opinion. They make those beautiful whoops and, and you know, they laugh, you know, very mirthful, although that's not really what it's used for. <laughs> uh, <laughs> plus, all four hyena species have really soft, sometimes luscious fur. Um, it can be coarse sometimes, but like I find that the ones I've worked with have pretty soft fur when I've been able mm. to touch it. And three out of the four species have really beautiful and unique patterns on that fur. A hyena's spot pattern is like a fingerprint. It's unique to them. Oh, um, and that's actually how we tell them apart. That's so cool. I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah. So like if for identifying hyenas, I, I go based on K. Holocamp's method of taking a right side and a left side photo so that you can really tell what their spot patterns are. And when you're in the field, you can, if you spend enough time, you can get really good at not even needing to use the book because you're like, oh, there's the one with the thing on it <laughs> um, or like this particular pattern. My hyenas are, can be really confusing because a lot of them have a very similar rosette pattern on one of their shoulders. But if you just look a little bit further than the shoulder, you'll get it. So yeah, unique. And okay. And three out of the four hyena species, the brown striped and the aardwolf have very beautiful manes that run down their spines that can be used to make them look bigger when they're threatened and other things. And, and they're just like very luscious and beautiful looking. It's like a mohawk almost sort of thing down the back. Exactly. Right? It's edgy, right? It is. Look, a touch of punk. Skater yeen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do look very punk, I think. Yeah, they're, they're super cool. You know, the babies are just freaking adorable, no matter which species you're talking about. You know, even when spotted hyena cubs are sitting there chewing on my car's tires, they totally <laughs> melt my heart, despite me wondering if I'll get out of there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you you can see where this is leading. We're going 10 out of 10 without question. It sounds like they appeal to every sense. They do. They do. Except for <laughs> taste, probably. I don't know. Do people eat hyenas? Is that a thing? I, I wouldn't. You know, yeah. like it sounds dangerous. Like it sounds like if, if there's an animal that can eat a lot of diseases out of the environment, maybe mm. they don't eat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to yeah. go for that. That makes sense. Yeah. But all the <laughs> four out of five, that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm biased, but. 
Yes. <laughs> I'll stick with that. Well, that does lead me to, you know, another thing I wanted to ask you about. I feel like, so my exposure to this phenomenon has been in uh, Suicide Squad, but I know that this has been like depicted in other like movies usually where a lot of times to like make someone appear very tough and very cool and edgy, a lot of times they will be shown with a pet hyena. Um, <laughs> is this a thing? Do people have hyenas? <sighs> Uh, I do not recommend it. I, I don't think people have them. I have seen a few people like pictures of people trying to pose with hyenas and that kind of thing. Generally don't agree with those things at all, especially with hyenas, but in general with wild animals, you know, hyenas are, are a wild animal. They're not domesticated. I don't think they will ever be domesticated. The hyenas in general have been on this planet for like 22 million years and they're heckin' wild. So <laughs> we don't we don't support uh, hyena pets, even in Suicide Squad. I was very, mm-hmm. um, while I was very excited to see a, uh, a hyena in, in pop culture, I was very sad to see a hyena as a sidekick. So close. Almost yeah. at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so close to good hyena representation, but missed the mark a little bit maybe in, in the application. Um, but if the only other time you've ever seen them is in The Lion King, where they're like, the villains, you know, like that's not a good look. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not great. And you know what? Like, you know, the Lion King I think did a lot of damage. And this is coming from someone who watched The Lion King like every week as a child. Like I loved that movie. Um and I love Disney. But The Lion King depicted hyenas as, you know, stupid, you know, and we now know they're very intelligent, right? Depicted them as thieves, but, you know, lions are more likely to steal from hyenas than the other way around, from what the data tells us. And they they depicted them as as kind of these unrelenting evil characters. But they're, you know, they have a family mindset. Like, they live in clans. They work together. They hunt their food. They're an apex predator. They do compete with lions, so they did get that part right a little bit. But... We, they get a bad rep, and I think that it's it's created a lot of a lot more problems than it's solved to show hyenas that way. So maybe in the future we'll see some cool cartoons coming out showing hyenas as the intelligent, fun creatures that they can be. Even though, like, I don't want to downplay, they are involved in conflict, and that's something that we're trying to work on. Like, what does coexistence with hyenas look like? I mean, what does coexistence with any adaptable creature look like that we share spaces with? Even here right. in the Bay Area, we have conflict with coyotes because they're just so adaptable and they can make do here in the city and they're running into people. So that goes for all of our adaptable critters are usually the ones that are the most misunderstood and the most maligned. Right. It has to speak to how clever and adaptable they are that they're, you know, figuring out how to take advantage of like the presence of humans, you know, that they're figuring out how to like, oh, well, maybe I can manipulate this situation to my advantage. Like, yeah, being opportunistic about it. Yeah, they, they definitely are. And, and, you know, people like are well within their right to be frightened or to be, you know, if you're relying on just a small herd of livestock and a hyena comes and kills a few of them, like that's your livelihood that's gone. So right. there's a lot to be done that's that really takes a holistic look at, at the issues and tries to um, help both hyenas and people. Yeah, I really liked like what you said earlier about like approaching it from in conservation, caring about the people too. you know, like acknowledging that like, okay, there's a very human element here that needs to be like addressed compassionately. I don't know. I feel like that's a a lot of times people can tend to be a little misanthropic, I think, in conservation. But you know, there's a part of it is just learning how to make peace and coexist. Yeah, there's there's going to be no conservation solution that lasts without local community involvement. 
So we have to make sure that we're that these different efforts around coexistence are being led by the people that are living with the animals. Absolutely. One more pop culture hyena came to mind. Have you ever seen the show Agretzko? No. It is a cartoon. It's on Netflix. It's for adults. Uh, okay. And in Agretzko, the main character, Retzko, is a red panda. Uh-huh. And one of her friends, this main character in the show, is a hyena. Aww. And his name is Haida. Oh, I'm looking at pictures. It's so cute. Yeah. Little bit of a little bit of a controversial character, especially in the more recent seasons. I am up to date on Agretzko. <laughs> <laughs> And he's definitely shown as, even though he's, you know, a hyena, that doesn't mean that they, like, depicted him as some, like, shadowy, you know, sketchy villain character. He's just, he's just her friend. He's her buddy, you know? Oh, I won't spoil anything, but there's, like, a romantic subplot. It's a whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch it. I need to watch it. It's pretty cute. The fact that they're animals does not play into anything at all. Like, I kind of turned it on hoping, like, oh, it's a cute show about animals. But it's it's really just, like, a normal, like, single woman working in a corporate office sitcom, <laughs> but they they just all happen to be animals. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds up my alley. It's pretty cute. So <laughs> that is that is my last little random tidbit that I'll throw at you. <laughs> but before we wrap up for today, I would love it if you could take a minute to let our friends listening know like where they can follow along with your work. If there's anything that you're working on right now that you really want people to like be aware of or follow along with, I'd love it if you could let us know about Black Mammologists Week just anything that you want to kind of leave folks with today. Yeah, for sure. So right now, I'm actually a postdoctoral researcher at UC Berkeley. And along with keeping up some of that hyena work in Kenya, I am building up a Bay Area carnivore ecology and coexistence project here in Oakland, San Francisco, etc. I'm working with Chris Shell, who's my PI here. And I've also been doing some work with um, coyotes in LA as well. So I just want to like say to everyone, we we face human wildlife, human carnivore coexistence issues, even here where I live. Um, it's not just about the hyenas, but there are many different examples of these these sorts of issues. And happy to talk with anyone more about about what's going on here in North America as well for your USA listeners. And I'm keeping up this hyena work in Kenya. And so something that I'd love to keep on everyone's radar is that we are probably going to start trying to fundraise to keep the hyena project going. Um, and kind of make this hyena and community project last into the future, empower local collaborators to run the project, that kind of thing, um, and make it super, super official instead of just part of the dissertation work, which is what it was. But so many people have put so much work into this, the hyena work that I do in Nakuru County, Kenya, that it's it's really a goal of ours to keep it going. So keep your eye on uh, out about that. And then Black Mammalogist Week. I'm a co-founder of Black Mammalogist Week, and we are hoping to have it return this spring. So stay tuned on my Twitter or on our website. Another thing um, regarding Black Mammalogist Week is that we are going to have our first round of the Black and Indigenous Scholarship for people working on wildlife ecology from all career stages, even kind of in the high school realm. Um, it will be a small scholarship and we're going to start rolling it out sometime this year. And yeah, if you want to keep up on what I'm doing or donate to the Nakuru Project or the scholarship, you can visit scrappynaturalist.com or contact me on Twitter or through my email. Happy to talk to anyone. Awesome. Can you drop your Twitter handle real quick? Yes. My Twitter handle is Scrap Naturalist, which is because you can't fit Scrappy Naturalist <laughs> in a Twitter handle. So it's like, S-C-R-A-P, naturalist. 
Awesome. I'll also have like links in the in the episode descriptions and stuff like that. So um, anybody listening should absolutely follow along because you have posted some awesome stuff. Like I really like when you post pictures of your field work because you kind of get a sense of like what it's like to be like working on the ground, you know, and and being out there and working, like living the dream, you know, <laughs> for like for people that kind of you know dream of working with animals. It's really cool to kind of get to live vicariously through your posts about it. Oh yeah, and keeping up with that, um, I am going to Kenya for a month in less than two weeks, so mm. maybe I can post some things and show you what the field work is like. Just to put in a plug, like most field work is like very boring and drudgery (laughs) and like waiting to see the animal do the thing. But like then you have these like bursts of like activity, like putting a collar on or like seeing a hyena do a really cool hunt or like all sorts of things like that that are totally the reward and the payoff for all of the waiting. (laughs) High investment, high reward. (laughs) Right. Well, everybody listening should absolutely go go follow along with you. Keep an eye out for your ongoing projects. Um, safe travels to Kenya. Uh, Thanks. I'll be looking forward to seeing your updates on that. Thank you so much for your time and all of your knowledge. I've learned a lot about hyenas. I hope that everybody listening has learned a lot about hyenas. Maybe we've changed some minds. I hope so. I hope so. Maybe recruited some people to the hyena fan club that weren't in it before. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. uh, And we will talk to you later. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, friends. I really hope that you have enjoyed this guided tour through the world of hyenas. If you liked what you heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you could leave us a good review. I hope that we have earned all five stars. You can connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord. Send us an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal that you would like to hear about. We would like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones that you you heard promos for here today, you can check them out, learn more about the network over at MaximumFun.org. And while you're there, it would be great if you signed up for a membership to support us and the rest of the shows on the network. Keep us going. We would really appreciate it. And finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our incredible theme music. That is all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.